we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Power Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Well, hello. How are you? Thank you so much for listening and welcome to, get ready for it, episode 10 of the Northern Power Women podcast, the M word. Yep, we've made it to double figures. This month, hear from a woman so accomplished that she didn't just win an award at the Northern Power Women Awards. She got a whole new award created just for her, the powerhouse that is Julie Kenny on building businesses and being yourself. I'm a Yorkshire lad and I'm straight talking and, and I don't beat around the bush and I'm not rude, but I'm just straight. We hung out in Withenshaw this month to be hosted by Vodafone for our panel discussion and talked about working for free changing your career and whether men should be in the conversation when it comes to empowering women. It's getting getting warm in here, isn't it? And in Ask the Hive, a very ambitious young woman wants your tips on making it to the very top. Stop thinking about it. If you spend your whole career wanting to get to the top, you're not going to enjoy the journey upwards. What a fantastic night it was in Manchester last month for the Northern Power Women Awards. We really hope you enjoyed being there or joining us live on Facebook as well. Let's get the official lowdown now on the night and the rest of the month as well from our founder, force of nature and friend of the royal family, Simone Roche. Episode 10, here we are. We loved recording at Vodafone North HQ in Withenshaw this month with a stellar panel including Sophie Hawley from Vodafone, Sam Price from Mawson's and David Walton from Gorvin Solicitors. And what a month it's been, celebrating role models of the third Northern Power Women Awards. And what a reach we had, with 580 guests attending. We also live-streamed on Facebook and our social media feeds raised the roof. We had 10 million impressions and we trended number one in Leeds, Manchester and Liverpool and an incredible fourth in the UK. We even beat Bake Off. It just goes to show the power of Northern Power Women. The feedback and interest has been incredible post-awards. So thank you for all your messages and offers of support, sponsorship and partnering. Congratulations to all of our winners and commended and also to our new power and future lists. Not only did we celebrate, we also announced our official partnership with Manchester Airport Group, who we'll be working with to accelerate gender equality from the north. And we know with such a proactive and passionate partner, we will see things fly. International Women's Day was a busy time for us as we supported various events and festivals, including the Women of the World event in London. I was also honoured to be invited to a reception at Clarence House with the Duchess of Cornwall and duly presented her with a Northern Power Women lanyard as an honorary northerner. Lanyard even made it to the pictures in the Daily Express and the Mail. 
We hosted our first webinar to launch the peer-to-peer mentoring exchange program with Edit Development with over 100 registered and we've now got double that interested. So please let us know if you want more information about the first cohort, which will be starting in June. We've also reignited our reverse mentoring program after a brilliant catch-up meeting earlier this month with the very first cohort. And we've recognised the power of supporting each other to drive this agenda forward. Thanks to all of your offers of support to host future podcasts and to sponsor them. We're looking forward to heading to Bradford, York and Newcastle very soon. We've also got some really exciting programmes in the pipeline too, so stay connected and sign up to our newsletters. Thanks again for all your support and see you next month. Thank you to Simone and remember you can follow everything that Northern Power Women do online at northernpowerwomen.com or on Twitter at North Power Women. Now, come on, come with me. Let's go to Withenshaw and this month's discussion panel and another chance to get some great insight into some of the big issues we're facing in our careers and our lives. What a welcome. Goodness me, thank you so much to the wonderful Vodafone who are our host this month in Withenshaw for episode 10. I know, of the Northern Power Women podcast. Uh, thank you so much if you subscribe. Thank you so much if you've left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. It really does mean so, so much to us for your support. So again, thank you. Well, a big warm welcome to our panel then for this month for episode 10 to uh, Sam Price from Mawson, one of the future list, of course, the Northern Power Women future list. Sam is head of client engagement for Mawson. She established Mawson's Women in Engineering Pledge partnership with the Girls Network and it's ED and I Champions Board. Sam, thank you so much for being here. Thank you also to uh, Sophie, who's Sophie Hawley, the Diversity and Inclusion Manager for Vodafone UK and has got his extensive experience in leading and delivering transformational initiatives. What do you mean shaking your head? You can't shake your head. It says that here. Uh, Both in financial services and the telecommunications industry. Sophie, thank you so much for being here. And last but absolutely not least, a big hello to David Walton from Gorvin's Solicitors, who's partner and head of the employment law team at Gorvin's. Uh, David advises across the full range of contentious and non-contentious, just to make sure, employment issues for employers and employees. David, thank you very much for being here as well. Well done to all our panellists. Thank you. Okay, our first question today comes from around a few conversations that I think we've all been having over the last week or so, and it's around the discussion about how much you should volunteer your skills and services when you're trying to build your career, from interning to gifting projects if you're starting up a new business. At what point should you stop giving yourself away for free? Um, Sam, I'm going to start with you. I think it's all about balance. For me, my recent exposure to volunteering my support has been through mentoring for the Girls Network and through communications consultancy. So I've worked with small businesses to shape how they engage with their audience. So from changing their recruitment partner, which is my niche area of expertise, to changing a process internally. How are they spelling the message out? How are they making sure it works? And it's been really valuable for me because that external validation is something I wouldn't have got if I'd have asked to been paid for it. I think as it gets further along, I would feel more comfortable asking for remuneration but again it's just balance you you take a project you think what am I getting out of it and for me I've got so much out of doing each individual project that volunteering my time 
it's just been it's been enough I've had, a, I've had a great time. <laughs> but you think you'd get to the stage where you think, actually, now I'm I'm giving more than I'm getting back. Yeah. So have you thought about when you reach that stage, how you're going to start to have those conversations? Yes. And the first thing is always ask your network. I'm not very good at selling myself. So I know that's one of the strengths I need to work on. And it's probably going to take me several more years to get better at it and always be a point where I'm awkward. But I'm really lucky to have a network of colleagues and mentors who are a tremendous salespeople. Mm. So they are the people that I will go to first. How do I do this? Please, can I have your help? Because I know that that's not a skill set I hold within myself. And hopefully they'll be able to give me some sage advice. <laughs> Sophie, that's interesting, isn't it? We, we quite often hear from people that we're great at selling our friends and colleagues and great at giving them the leg up and telling them what they're worth. But when it comes to ourselves, it's quite hard to say whether you're asking for a pay rise, whether you're saying you won't do something for free to go, no, no, I'm worth more than that. It feels a bit uncomfortable. It, it definitely does. But I think it's really important to be able to validate yourself because how can you expect anyone else to validate you if you don't believe in what you're doing? Um, I am genuinely of the opinion that you should give away as much for free if you are getting something in return. Um, I volunteer, I'm a trust uh, board trustee on a charity and I do a lot of volunteering in the international development sector. And obviously, I'm not necessarily getting any skills back for my own career, but to know that you can make that difference and help people, I think is really important. So I would probably never charge for those services. Um, maybe uh, later on, I might consider it. But right now, I think it's really important to be able to help people when they're asking for it. Mm. What about things um, like, like projects? Because we often hear from people who say, look, I've just set up a business. Perhaps I'm designing something. And people say, oh, yeah, could you design this poster? for this little event I'm putting on it will be good for your career it'll be good exposure for you and of course at the beginning it is and after a while you think wait a minute I'm just I'm just working for free that is a really difficult thing to do it depends what kind of relationship you have with that person or that business it also depends if they have the same beliefs and kind of moral guidance as you do if you feel like you're being taken advantage of then it's time to either say stop or we need to talk about remuneration but I would hope that in a network like the Northern Power Women there would never be anyone that would be taking advantage of somebody um, but I think it's quite easy to spot that when you are being taken advantage of and in, 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 the, in the world of law and solicitors, of course, we, we do hear, David, about there is, there is a certain uh, amount of work that you do on a pro bono basis. Is that still the case? Uh, yes, it is. Um, certainly when acting for individuals, um, we, we do get a lot of, again, it's a balance for us, I suppose. Um, I think um, for anybody who's putting themselves in that position um, of giving their time for free, I think it's a matter of clarity of, perhaps clarity of purpose and understanding what it is you want to get out of it. And obviously, once you've got out of it what you want, then perhaps that's the easier time for you to you know, to pull the plug. And I think from our perspective, as lawyers, yes, we do. Um, we do do pro bono work, but ultimately we are a business um, and there's got to be a you know, there's got to be a reason in it for us. And if it's, um, you know, CSR um, or if it's with a view to getting a certain type of work, again, it's I think that if I can, I suppose, add a single point is that clarity of purpose as to why you're doing something. And once you've achieved that purpose, we're well, going beyond it. And that's the time to perhaps pull the, pull the plug. That must be difficult. I mean, I know from a from a personal level, being someone who, who presents awards and programmes and the like, when somebody comes to you and says, will you, will you present, say, an event for me for no money? If it's a really good cause and it's a great charity, it's incredibly hard to say 
no but then uh, I can't pay my mortgage by saying but I did something really lovely for a charity last week so it does get to the point where you have to get that balance together I always feel dreadfully awkward saying no to it's awful especially if it's for charity but it, I'm like well I do need to earn a living I mean how, how do you come to those decisions when it comes to pro bono work which you know I'm sure a lot of it is so so valid and worthwhile yeah we as a, as a personally as you know areas of practice um, I do a lot of work in the field of cancer um, and disability discrimination um, and you can imagine there aren't many more kind of sensitive um, and heart-wrenching situations and, and people who are coming to me who um, you know are in that situation of dealing with incredibly um, difficult personal circumstances but they happen to be treat, being treated badly at work as well um, but I guess I, th- I think most people similar to the comments that have already been made I think most people do understand that there's um, and they don't abuse um, you know that that expectation um, and from my point of view I would love to be a charity and I would love to um, help everybody <clears throat> um, you know without limit on my time who walks through the door but ultimately yes I am a business but most people appreciate that Thank you panellists anyone in the, in, in the audience here today had any experience of giving away their own time and getting to the point of thinking I, I can't give this away anymore has anyone interned for a longer period of time yes I'm doing my first lunch of the podcast uh, yes hello I yes no I have and it's one of those situations where it, like what you said you, you do have to pay your bills at the end of the day I remember just starting out when I was 18 and I just wanted to experience and I just wanted to learn but it then gets to the point of what am I gaining out of this now I've done many of these um, events or occasions where I've been called upon to organize things and I just think at the end of the day what am I learning from it and what am I gaining from it and you do have to have that balance because otherwise it starts be, you start gaining resentment and uh, those kinds of things so you just really have to dig deep and say to yourself should I be doing this and make uh, like what um, panel said before make a balanced decision and um, if, if it is a case where you're not getting anything else of it whatsoever should you be doing it mm. and I suppose we have to get over ourselves that someone might be annoyed with us yeah. which can be quite hard sometimes isn't it or maybe it's just me uh, thank you so much to our panel it, don't forget of course this is the start of a conversation we'd love you to get in touch you can tweet at North Power Women you can of course always email as word podcast at northernpowerwomen.com on email thank you right let's march on to question number two and this is around some really uh, interesting research into the fact that more and more women over the age of 25 so women not right at the start of their careers but a little, little way down the line are taking on apprenticeships actually as a way to change their careers so instead of going back to training because a lot of women have um, well and men of course have um, perhaps family responsibilities they are deciding to go into the apprenticeships field do you have any experience or advice about changing careers um, Sophia I'm going to start with you career changes how do you begin them um, I think you begin them by admitting you're not happy in what you're currently doing just because it brings money in every month and everyone goes well you've got to go to work you have to be fulfilled doing that it's very very important to come home at the end of the day and either be really proud of what you've done or be really passionate about going to work the next day there is nothing worse than waking up on a Monday morning and dreading going in I'm just looking around the audience I know that's what I was doing everyone everyone looks quite they look okay good yeah 
Um, I have changed my career. Um, I graduated and was a recruitment consultant for three years. Um, I loved the drive of the sale, uh, but I found it very heart-wrenching when you are, you know, sometimes forcing people into taking a career that you know may not necessarily be for them, but you are doing it to make commission. Uh, and I changed uh, 360 and went into uh, corporate social responsibility. Uh, so I set up CSR at comparethemarket.com and it was a complete change, but it got me up every morning and I didn't feel like I was going against my morals and it was something I was really passionate about. Um, yes, I took a pay cut and I thankfully had somebody at home that would, that would support me through that. So I think you have to have that support network around you to be able to say, I'm not happy and I'm going to start again. But most careers have transferable skills. You know, mm. you're never necessarily starting from scratch. If you're 25 or 35, you will have, you know, got a breadth of knowledge that you can apply to any career. So I would say be brave, make the change and wake up on a Monday morning ready to go to work. That's really good advice and really good advice about transferable skills as well because quite often if we're in one sector and we want to be in another sector and they think well what's that got to do with the role I'm already in and David I know it can be tricky as well and I'm thinking particularly about about your sector being in law it's quite often about connections it can be as much about who you know to get your foot in the door how do you begin to make those connections and build that network in a, in a sector that you haven't been part of? Wow. Um, I suppose it's six degrees of separation in a way, isn't it? There's always... I think if you challenge the connections that you have, um, I think you'll be surprised as to how far those, you know, connections can stretch. Um, and uh, even even just asking um, the immediate, you know, your immediate um, support network, um, it's inevitable that, that, that somebody will know somebody, um, you know, who can who can provide you with an introduction or know somebody else. Um, uh, that's that's the beauty of the, you know the network, and I think that. Um, a support system that you could have. Do you, do you know, has anyone at your firm got into law later in life, perhaps didn't start out, started out in a different career and then moved into law? Um, yes, I think. I think it's sort of law, law is also going to be one of those professions which I think is going to be far more open um, to apprenticeships, to alternative routes to access. Um, certainly when I, you know, uh, my education into the legal profession was quite standard. It was, it was A-levels, it was, it was a history degree, but then, you know, a law conversion then straight into to access the profession. But um, now, certainly the junior hires that we have at the moment, they're coming in at all ages, um, you know, with these six 16, 18. Um, I think that law is one of those professions which um, has, quite rightly, now the shackles have been thrown off with regard to convention of approach. And then I think I, I also see this from, you know, I have connections with schools as well who uh, I still think it's the case, unfortunately, that careers advice in schools isn't that great. Um, and I think the choices that, that, that kids are obliged to make at 16, 18, it's still a, it's still potluck. I think if you end up, um, if you end up in a in a career straight out of um, higher education, further education that, that that you want to get out of bed in the morning for, and and yeah, as I say, fortunately, I think law is going to be. It is one of those professions now which is far more accessible than it used to be. Thank you, David. And, and Sam, any advice for people who are sitting here thinking, well, actually, as Sophie was, I, I don't want to be going to this place of work every day. I want to do something different. Making that transition can be hard. What's your advice? 
have some self-belief. I think often we're our own barriers to change and it's change makes everybody feel uncomfortable. Change what you're going to do with your hair. You'll sit there for hours looking at magazines. Will I look like Jennifer Aniston? Probably not, but it might suit my face. Right? What do you mean? <laughs> but it does make everybody feel uncomfortable. But I think the great thing about apprenticeships is that you're immersed in an industry when you start with that with people who want to share their skills with you to succeed. And I think that's probably why more women are taking it up and later on in their careers is because the. Co- You've, you're more worldly wise at later on. You know what you're good at, what you think, or oh, maybe shouldn't have made that decision at 18 to do A-level English when actually I was absolutely smashing it in science. I should have pursued science. I should have pursued maths. Am I a frustrated engineer? There's probably loads of frustrated engineers in the room. And working in engineering, I think that's what we're seeing more and more. I think women are better whilst we're at a disadvantage in some circumstances I think maybe at 25 later 20s we've already taken a career gap so we're already comfortable with changing and maybe taking that pay cut I think that's one of the reasons why you probably see more women doing it but having self-belief is you can do it you can, as soon as you put your mind to it you can do it it might be uncomfortable you might say some stupid stuff but you will be able to do it and you will be supported especially in an apprenticeship Brilliant advice. Thank you. Anyone here changed career? Anyone here started out on one path and then gone down a different road? There's some knowing looks, but no one wants to talk about it. That's fine. Just now. Well, as someone who had never even been in a radio studio until she was 30 and faffed around for an entire decade not knowing what I wanted to do, you're right. It can be really hard to kind of step into a new arena, but... It's also a bit of an adventure, actually. And that's surely what life is about. Gone all Dalai Lama. How wonderful (laughs) for the afternoon. Uh, Again, the start of a conversation. We'd love to hear your stories, your experiences. Do get in touch. Tweet at North Power Women or uh, email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Okay, I'm going to take a deep breath for question number three. (gasps) Because this is going to be an interesting one. Okay. The M word. Now, last month, the Northern Power Women Awards faced uh, challenges, I think would be the polite word. Criticism is another word, actually, for celebrating and awarding men during the awards. It's called the Northern Power Women Awards. Why are men even there? One person actually asked. Should men be included in conversations about female empowerment is a question that seems to be asked a lot at the moment. If you believe that they should, why? And I'm going to start, actually, with, our, with the man on our panel today, <laughs> David. Why are you here, David? Why are you here? Um, this is interesting. I mean, whenever we talk about feminism, people often feel it's something that excludes men, conversations about equality and empowering women. Some people believe... Men are men are the enemy, I suppose. I mean, what, what's been your experience? He's laughing. This is a good sign. Go on. I couldn't agree more. Men are all. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me out. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's. A, it, I think to exclude, um, you know, in talking about any issue around equality and diversity, if, if you if you don't treat it as being a, I guess, a universal issue, um, I think it can be even more divisive and, and polarized than, um, you know, and almost contribute to the 
uh, you know, the continued them and us scenario, whatever, whatever form of, um, I guess, e- equality we're, we're looking at. Um, and obviously gender is, yeah, I think, particularly at the moment, it, it is, you know, a hot pota- potato from an equal pay point of view, from, a, um, you know, gender reporting every which way. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's a universal issue. And from my point of view, it should be men, women in it together. How do, how do you feel about the word feminism? Are you someone who subscribes to that word and would call yourself a feminist? Or is there something that you feel awkward about? Ooh, it's, getting, it's getting warm in here. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> David is not answering for all men as well, I would just like to point out. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, my personal reaction, I think, I think the, the, if I, the true feminist that I've come across, um, I suppose in my time in practice, um, I have to say I've found um, belligerent. I think there has been, uh, I think the approach that I've come across typically with the feminist um, uh, you know, t- ticket is that I think people approach it in a far more aggressive way than it needs to be. My approach will be more collaborative. Um, you know, more. I-, I think there's no why should you have any 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 equality, inequality, um, regardless of which protected t- characteristic mm-hmm. we come across. And obviously, I deal with personally in, in the legal profession. I deal with um, protected characteristics right across the piece. Um, but uh, no, to my mind, there's no reason why it should be so divisive. Sam, let me bring you on on this. Um, should women's networks and should conversations about empowering women and, and gender equality have men present? I mean, obviously, Northern Power Women absolutely believes that it should. And we always have men at all of our events and celebrate men who work just as hard towards gender equality as women. But it seems that, that some people feel that, no, this should be a fight for women and women alone. I think men absolutely should be part of the conversation, should be part of not just present, but participating as well. I've been really lucky that throughout my career I've worked in male-dominated environments, but they've been incredibly supportive male-dominated environments. My mentors have all been men up until the last 12 months. And I think what isn't part of the conversation is when we try and exclude men from it, is we're actually excluding positive change makers and we're preventing balance and ultimately balance is what we want to achieve. That is the end goal. We want a level playing field. We want inclusive workforces. And I, I just, it makes me really uncomfortable when women want to exclude men because often that personality type excludes other women as well. And I think that's where we need to address empowered women, empower women. And some of the most damaging relationships that women can have in the workplace aren't with men, they're with other women. And that's what I've struggled with. Sophie, what's what's your take on this? I think if we were to exclude men from Northern Power Women, uh, it would be reverse gender inequality. I think that we have spent so long fighting the you know the feminist way and female empowerment, but actually we need advocates of change. Uh, I'm lucky enough to work with Rob Mukherjee, who's obviously awarded Agent of Change. Uh, he's included me and invited me onto this today. So without him, I wouldn't even be here. Um, I am lucky enough to have worked for some fantastic male people. Uh, I have had male mentors in the past. 
Um, now, sometimes, you know, you should always change your mentor the further you get into your career because you want different things from them. They are a crutch a little bit sometimes, but you should always be able to break free. Uh, and I have had women mentors as well, um, and they both say the same thing. They both want female empowerment. Um, they just go about it in different ways. But I most do not think we should be excluding men at all. What's everyone's experience in the audience today? Does anyone... Well, let's do a show of hands, actually. In organisations that um, celebrate women and empower women, should men be in the room, essentially? Hands up if you think they should be. Is that everybody? That's, every, that's everybody. It is It is everybody. What, what, Simone Roche herself has something to say. No, you didn't have your hand up, Sam. I was holding I a microphone. <laughs> My hand is up. <laughs> My hand is up. Harmonious bunch here in Withenshaw this afternoon. Uh, well, I look, I know that question is very much going to start conversations, definitely, especially when we share it on social media. Perhaps some of the people who did get in touch with us after the awards might want to join in on those conversations as well. But we would, as ever, love to hear from you. Can you give a big round of applause to our panellists, please? Thank you. David Walton, Corbin Solicitors, Sam Price from Mawson, and also Sophie Hawley from Vodafone. Episode 10 of the Northern Power Women podcast. We are done. Thank you so much. Thank you to Withershaw and to Vodafone too. Another great listen. Thank you again to our hosts, Vodafone, our panellists, and our audience as well. We'd really love to have you at a future recording and also love you to be a host as well. So let us know where you are and we'd love to come and visit you. Do get in touch. Email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. It's time now to peek inside the head of someone who has had a huge impact on their particular part of the business world. Or in the case of this month's guest, so many parts of the business world. A woman who started from scratch in a very, very male-dominated part of the business world, security technology. She has achieved enormous success in business and she now teaches, mentors and supports businesses across Yorkshire and in fact the country, helping them to achieve their goals. Winner of the specially created award for Northern Power Women this year, the one and only Julie Kenny CBE. I started by asking Julie what it felt like to take such a huge risk as she started her first business. Yeah, it's... it's really strange because at the time I didn't actually see it as a risk it's really bizarre I think that um, I believed that we could um, make a success of the business that we were talking about and so I just never saw it as a risk and I think part of that's naivete because you know never having really been um, involved in business up, up to that time I had no idea that one in two businesses failed. And in a way, that was also one of the good things, really, because I didn't have anything to be afraid of. And so we, we set our stall out and, and went for it. And I think that's the, that's the big thing, really, is to, is to just go for it. Was it as you expected? Was, was building a business, building it up from scratch, how you expected it to be, that process? Well, it's it's really funny because, as I said, I, I wasn't massively experienced in it. And in some ways, sometimes it seemed to go very quickly and very well. And then other times that, that we seemed to 
um, take a while to actually get to where you wanted to be. But it was what is now known as a high-growth startup. So from scratch, and that's designing the product, getting it into manufacturing and creating a manufacturing plant, in that first year, we turned over 120,000. Wow. year was 635. Third year was 1.2. Fourth year was 1.8. Now, it seemed to grow very quickly, and so it, it did seem that we were doing fairly well. But in the early days, it seemed also quite a chore to actually get you there. So it, it's a bit of both, really. I, I didn't have any experience to gain it on, just my own expectations and desires. And so I think, um, I think it, well, we, are, we were a high-growth startup, which, which is, is the word for it now, but at the time we didn't know it. What surprised you, Julie, about that first year entering into the business world? I was still working full time um, in order to support the business as well because um, everything that, that you know I earned certainly from my sale of the house had gone into the business. So I was also working full time and then I'd finish work in the evening and come and do uh, a full shift at Pyronics and, and that really went on for three years. So it seemed quite... Um, well, it was quite a challenge at first, but then I had my first born, and I then went into the business full-time, and that made a real big difference because instead of spending a full-time job half-time, if you know what I mean, I actually then spent the whole, um, you know, all, all waking hours really working on the business. And as a, a northern lass working in pretty much tech manufacturing, did you ever struggle for people to take you seriously? To be fair, in those early days, all we did was keep our head down and work in the business. We never really looked up to look at what anybody else was doing. And, you know, one of the very early things that we said, our desire was to be the number one detector manufacturer in the UK. And at the time, there was a really large but, um, some of our electronic components from one of the suppliers to this largest um, uh, manufacturer. And, and he, he said to me, where do you want to be? Where do you see yourself? And I said, I see myself, you, you know, bigger than that company in detectors. And he laughed at me because he knew how many um, components we were buying at the time. He also knew how many that they were buying. But that did come to pass in 1992. So some six years after we had uh, commenced business, we actually then were selling more detectors per annum uh, than that company was in the UK. And so it was only at that time that I actually then started to lift my head and have a look at what was happening in the rest of the world. And we took, that, we, we took the decision then um, to take what we thought was our rightful place in the market to try and influence the market through the British Security Industry Association. And so in that, I joined their board in 1991 and ultimately became their first woman chairman. And that is when I learned what it was like to be a woman in a man's world because the very first meeting that I went to, I was one person in a room of 42 men 
and um, the meeting was held in a um, in, in a gentleman's club, uh, which you know didn't seem odd at the time, but you know it was odd when a woman turns up. So um, it it was very different in those days in the early nineties. But I never I never felt overtly that anybody had be, was disrespectful to me because I I wasn't really expecting it, although. My voice was very different, and that's one of the early things that, that I found out is I'm a Yorkshire lass, and I'm straight talking, and and I don't beat around the bush, and I'm not rude, but I'm just straight. And actually, dealing with, with men from around the country, but mostly from the South, that was really un- unusual, if you like. And so... I learned a few lessons on how to put things a bit more diplomatically than I had in those early days. So it'd be interesting to see what some of those blokes thought about in those early days as to how I was at these committee meetings because I just said it how it was. Um, I was going to ask you, Julie, how long it took you to find your management style because quite often we talk to women uh, who have been very successful in business who perhaps have gone into a man's world and they've said they almost tried to be one of the boys to start off with and then have realised actually they, they were more successful when they scrapped that and went, you know what, I am a woman, I'm going to embrace that and they just went in as their authentic self. By the sound of it, you walked in as your authentic self from the get-go. Yeah, it's an interesting question, that one, because one of the things that, that I thought I'd never been an employer before, and actually I thought if I treat people, as in members of staff who work for me, in the same way as I would wish to be treated, then nobody would ever leave and everything, it would be a really happy ship. But it, it doesn't take you very long to realise that actually you can't work, it doesn't work like that. Um, but you can treat people in, in a manner in which you would like to be treated. And you can find a way of still having that friendly banter with them. But, but each party understanding that at, at one stage, you, you, you know, you are the boss. So I would suggest that it was probably the early 90s when I started to try and refine who I was and to follow proper management processes and procedures. And bearing in mind that I hadn't been really massively exposed to them, um, that was a learning curve. And one of the other things that made a massive difference to who I am was when I started to get involved in other organizations on a voluntary basis and um, started to meet other people where you weren't the boss and you had to learn if you thought something was right, how to persuade people to do something in in a different way. And and that, I'm, I learned some massive lessons in how to deal with different types of people, how to deal with different situations, and how to hone, if you like, your negotiating skills and to think strategically. And if I'm honest with you, I didn't know what strategy meant until um, the early 90s, but in reality, I'd been operating strategically for a long time. So it really is a, a funny thing, but you do learn on the job as you go along. You are really passionate, Julie, about mentoring. Did, did anyone mentor you at all in these early years of your career? No, they didn't. But as I've just said, I learned so much from others. And I think um, if you've got a passion for learning 
And, you know, if you appreciate what people do for you. So a couple of men gave me a chance. So the very first chance I had was when I was 18. And, and somebody gave me the opportunity to learn, to go back to university and learn. And I, I never stopped thanking that guy for it because I grabbed it with both opportunities. But if you, you can learn from others. And so one of the things that I did, I drove somebody mad in one of the jobs that I had. I always just asked, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? What, you know, why this? Why that? And actually, you can learn massively. And, and I, I just had an aptitude for learning. And so, whilst I haven't mentored, I've observed and I've wanted to learn. And, and then you put that learning back into business, which has allowed me then to mentor people within my business and also outside of my business. And, I, I, you know, and it's a great way to, to try and help others grow by learning from some of the things that you've done. You mentioned um, your passion for volunteering and for helping other people. And, and I can't list all the different boards you've been on and the commissioning roles you've held and the, and the like, because we'd be here all day. I mean, it's extraordinary, your experience and your commitment to, to volunteering and helping others in business. I mean, you're, you're currently talking to lots of businesses, both male and female led as a Connect Yorkshire entrepreneur in residence. Have you got sort of three key tips for anyone listening who's who's thinking do you know what i want to set my own business up i want to make that leap what would your kind of three great tips be well there's one thing that you have to do and that's to believe in yourself because a lot of um individuals fail because of that self-belief you have to believe in yourself and you have to be fully committed to what it is that you want to do and some of these are really you know simple things because determination never giving up when the uh, when the going gets tough and it will get tough you, you have to know where you're going and you have to set those big goals but you've also got to be able to um, adapt your model to suit what's out there at the moment and I think that that's you know, they would be my key measures. But you've got to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, you, 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 you can't convince others to. Do you think there's an issue with, particularly amongst women in business and that self-belief? I mean, the Ask the Hive question for this month's podcast is a woman saying, please, can you give me some tips to sell myself? I can't, I'm not very good at selling myself. And when it comes to those crucial meetings, whether it's for promotions or trying to get a business plan together, selling yourself is, is, a, is a tough challenge for a lot of women and it's nothing to do with their abilities. I don't think it is, actually. I, I, but, but if you'd have asked me probably 20 years ago, I'd have probably said it was. One of the things that you need to do is to understand who you are at that core. And you will have learned some of these lessons from, from how you've grown up. So for me, some of the lessons that I learned as a very young child was what I didn't want to be. And, and what I didn't realize was that they were core values. So, for example, hard working, honesty, integrity, doing to others as you would want to be done to you. If you have an absolute confidence in, in who you are and how you will behave, that behavior will be replicated throughout all of your dealings with the people that you deal with and through your business. And you've got to, you've got to be that role model. When you go then to meet a business and you're trying to win some business, you, you should be selling yourself on your core values, what those individuals can expect when they deal with you. And I think that is what you should be doing. Because, 
it's really a funny old world nowadays from when I first started. You know, you had to be the first day. You had to do the most work. You had to have information. Now the information is at everybody's fingertips. So you have to sell it on the differentiation. And the differentiation is you, your business, and how you are going to supply them. And I think that that is something that you need to understand. Who are you? What's your core values? What will somebody get when they deal with you? Julie, you, you were awarded the Special Recognition Awards at this year's Northern Power Women Awards. Not only did you win an award, you had an award created for you. How did that feel? Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? It really is fantastic. It was a really fantastic award to receive and to know that it's been created for me. And I hope there's many other people that get it in the future. But it, it was a, it was a fantastic thing. And, and, and we had a great night out with all my other very powerful uh, women and friends. It was great. A massive thanks to Julie Kenny this month, a truly inspiring woman. If there's someone you'd love to hear in the hot seat, get in touch. Let us know. Email podcast at northernpowerwomen.com. Okay, before we put another episode to bed, let's muster the collective wisdom of the Northern Power Women family and delve into another Ask the Hive. This month, from Olivia. My name is Olivia. I work in property industry, which is a very obviously male dominant place to be. And I'm pretty new to my career, but looking long term at kind of making it to board level and wondering what kind of skills and resilience I need to be working on developing now to get me there in the long run. My thoughts on how to get to board level are as follows. Firstly, work out the skills you bring and learn how to value them and to sell them to others. Everyone has something they're good at, whether it's balancing the books, asking great questions, marketing, communication, something else. Everyone has skills and you often don't value your own skills or the things that come naturally to you, but others will. Secondly, take some small steps to find out what being at board level really means. Maybe you could apply for a school governor position or a position on a local charity board you could observe someone else operating at board level. Ask them how they prepare, what have they learnt along the way, how do they add value. Linked to this, find role models that you can learn from and maybe find a sponsor, someone who can champion you for a board position. Think about what you can offer them as well as what you could get from them. Another top tip is to equip yourself with the skills you need before you need them. So learn, develop, practice whenever you get a chance, whether that means contributing to discussions, chairing meetings, drawing and including others in on conversations, creative problem solving, all the things you need to do and demonstrate at board level. You can do them anywhere, just keep practicing. Next, find the thing you feel passionate about. It's much easier to succeed and to give time and energy to something you know about and care about. And finally, if you don't get there at first, don't give up. Try to use setbacks as a springboard, not the start of a downward spiral. There's a lesson in life in every opportunity and there's much in failure as success. 
my tip would be if you want to get to board level to stop thinking about it uh, I think that if you spend your whole career wanting to get to the top you're not going to enjoy the journey upwards you know take uh, good news and enjoy what you're doing uh, I think the sooner you forget about it the better you're going to be at the top of your career my top tips for somebody wanting to reach the board level in a company is have the confidence in yourself to put yourself forward for opportunities to put your hand up in the air and say i'll have a go you can learn as you go along ask for what you want it's so important in life if you don't ask you don't get and sometimes companies are not mind readers you've got to be very clear with communication what you would like speak to your line manager and have a plan about how you're going to make that happen so first of all, I'd say be really clear on why you want to be at board level and what that delivers for you and for your business and write it down so that you can articulate it clearly to yourself. You can tweak it, you can refine it. Once you're clear on why you want to do that, then start putting together your building blocks of what it's going to take to get you there. And a key thing I think people think sometimes by mistake is that you need to do it all by yourself. So one of those key building blocks I'd say would be speak to people, sound other people out, find a network of people who can help you and support you. And out of that might come a formal or informal mentor and then you can start to build together a transition plan using other people's help of how you want to get to how you want to get to board level crucially what i'll add is that it's really important to stay true to who you are so when you want to become a board member of a business, make sure you're doing it on your terms, being you, not who you think other people want you to be. And actually, you'll find that you add much more value to your to yourself and to your business if you're straight through to who you are. So yeah, do's and don'ts for getting to board level. Throughout my career as a successful woman, mother of two, you know, I've had a few challenges and a lot of that for me, I think, has started with that self-belief. I think, you know, someone else made the comment about the um, surrounding yourself by like-minded people or people that actually believe in you because sometimes people see things in you that you just don't see yourself and to have somebody do that and then to elevate you really does help. And a big thing for me, you know, I've quite a lot of conversation in my career at board level working with you know, many different types of people men and women and I think it's just sitting back and believing that actually I do deserve to be here I can do this and we are just people and once you kind of conquer that mindset and then you start getting over your own nerves you just have that conversation and, and things flow everything just becomes a lot easier and people then become reluctant to almost like let you go because once you've got that relationship it's, it doesn't matter who you work for or what you're doing. It's your people don't want to let go of that. And I, and I guess another big thing for me is, as well as that self-belief, it's, it's just, you know, there's going to be hiccups, there's going to be stumbles, and you're going to get knocked. And it's not even, you know, you can't even really talk about challenges. It's just, you know what, sometimes stuff happens, and you say, right, okay, what would I do differently? And I'll do it again tomorrow. And it's just keep going for that result rather than just letting it knock you down and just letting it bother you it's just keep going and sometimes it's hard it's not just your career it can be your personal life and and your family you know life's a journey and it is tough we all know that but you just got to keep going and keep thinking what did I learn how would I do it different and then just do it different and do it again and do it again and I think and eventually you, you'll get those great results 
So I, I think it's about surrounding yourself about with the right people. So the one thing for me, I've kind of, I've achieved great things in my career, and what's contributed massively to that success is me personally, and, and thinking my view is that the will should be greater than the skill unless you push yourself a little bit each and every day you're not going to get anywhere but it's about surrounding yourself with the right mentors and the right environment to help you get to that and, and it's about picking and choosing your battles within your battles you support within that organization you will get some some people who are very protective uh, and think i don't want you to get that far because um you know they've got their own personal agenda but then there's people like rob in our organization who actively want to see people progress you know and i know that, that in our management there are people that would actively want you to go after their jobs because it helps them to develop um you know but I, so i think it's for, for this individual i think it's it's about thinking uh, is she in the right environment to get that does she want to be board level in the organization that she's working in you know and does she feel that she's got the right support network to get there or is the time right then to look at a different organisation that has a better structure more empowerment a better balanced view on career progression so you know so it's kind of you know it's about thinking about her as an individual and whether she I mean clearly she's motivated enough but you know are there glass ceilings there within the best will in the world in her organisation is she ever going to break through those whether she's capable of doing that or not so you know I think it's support network structure and drive you know and those get those three things together and you know but it might be that she just has to look somewhere else you know is a smaller company with a more fluid structure going to lend itself to that you know because you with the best will in the world you're not going to be on board level in google you know but in a smaller more local company that's a little bit more agile sure you know that's a lot more achievable so i suppose it's about setting realistic objectives as well for her. Big thanks to everyone who made the effort to help Olivia out this month. And do remember us, Olivia, of course, when you have made it to the top of the tree. Okay, this month's question I think will resonate with nearly all of us. If not right now, then at some point in our career, I think we would have felt this way. It's all about the big sell. So when it comes to an interview or an opportunity for promotion, I struggle with selling myself. So are there any tips that anyone can offer to help me do that? Do you have some key strategies you use when selling yourself in meetings or interviews? Please do share your knowledge and experience. Either record a voice memo on your phone and email it to podcast at northernpowerwomen.com or open up WhatsApp on your phone. Add the Northern Power Women podcast on 07928 387 712. That's 07928 387 712. You can send us your thoughts that way. Uh, just hold the microphone icon on your message window and answer away. It's as simple as that. If you need those details again, you can find them online at northernpowerwomen.com. So another month, another great episode. Thank you to everyone who took part. And don't forget, we'd really so appreciate your comments and feedback on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Please do like and subscribe. It really, really does help other people to find us and helps us get bigger and better too. So thank you in advance for that. The next episode, Arise For You on May the 3rd. 
Until then, this is the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm Sam Walker, and this has been a What Goes On media production for Northern Power Women. Oh, 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 oh